Dear Colgate, I love that you love that I love being at home. You even let me whiten my teeth from home. Because you know how I feel about getting up from my cloud couch. The Colgate Optic White LED Kit gives professional-level results in just 10 minutes a day for 10 days when used as directed. And that's why, Colgate, I want you to meet my parents. Because ever since meeting you, I've been living life to the brightest. Colgate Optic White. Find it at all major retailers. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hey guys, and welcome to Personality Bingo with me, your host, Tom Warren. So this week on the podcast, we have Maria Guyver. Maria is an actor and a producer who's recently graduated from the Lear Academy in Dublin, a place that's produced some cracking actors over the last little while. And Maria's been someone who's been out there working her ass off. She's been making so many um, brilliant plays, uh, whether that be being in them, producing them. Um, it's been really cool to see all the different stuff she's been a part of since she's graduated. We've talked about some of it on the podcast. Um, and make sure that you catch her in her latest show that she's acting in and also producing. It's called After the End, and it's in the new theatre and also the Lyric Theatre in Belfast all the dates we talk about in the show but make sure you do check that out because it's going to be an absolute cracker guys in other news I am out with the mill at the moment rehearsing Romeo and Juliet uh, I'm getting to play Romeo which is very fun because uh, it's kind of mad being 24 and soon being too old to play that part but uh, that's a thing so it's great to do that before um, I become old and decrepit and useless um, like anyone over the age of 24 um, so I'm really excited to be doing that uh, and we are opening in three weeks time so come in and catch us there because I think it's going to be a bit of a cracker um, in other news I have some of my own work that's going to be coming out really soon um, to the Dublin theatre scene I'm just waiting to kind of get all that nailed down before I tell you all about it but that would be an amazing thing to come and see people at as well um, but as I said in other news get out and see Maria Guyver um, and Paul Livingston and Emily Foran who are the team making uh, After the End it's at the New Theatre and the Lyric Theatre in Belfast and I think it's going to be an absolute cracker guys it was a pleasure to chat to Maria it was my first time actually properly meeting her which is kind of mad because I heard so much about her so um, I I think this is a really, really interesting chat, and I hope you agree. So please enjoy Maria Guyver playing Personality Bingo with Tom Moore. Maria Guyver, ready to play Personality Bingo? Yes. Okay, let's do it. So a quick explainer of how it all works. Uh, I have 60 minutes on the clock. I have 60 balls in here Mm -hmm. and 60 corresponding questions. I've also given you a list of five numbers. Would you do me a Mm favour and read out the five? 7, 13, 40, 19 and 58. Very good. Could you do me a favour and pick a sixth number, something between 1 and 60 that's not on that sheet? 6. Very good. Any reason for number 6? No, I just panicked. You seem like someone who would pick number six, and I don't mean that to sound like it's something to do with the devil. You know what? I was listening to an episode of this podcast this morning to prepare myself, mm. and um, and I was thinking, I was like, I'll choose 47. Like, that just seemed like a number that was more me, but then I just, I went for the single digit. I don't know. Yeah. Look, who what, knows what it means. What episode did you listen to? I listened to Ross Gaynor's episode. Oh, yeah. That's from a while back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was when great. I was producing his show, so... We had a lovely chat. He sat there in a vest. I remember he'd come from rehearsals and it was a really warm day and uh, he was obviously working hard. He was doing a one-man show. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, all right, deadly. Look, uh, oh, and I should say that if all your numbers do come out, all yeah. your six numbers, that means that the tables are turned um, and you get to ask me any question in the okay, whole world. Okay, so I have to do all six? If you get all six. Okay. It's never been done before. Okay. But look, you pick... But I've won the last five raffles that I entered. Are you serious? Yeah. You I know, I never used to win anything, and now I'm on a roll of winning raffles, including wow. one that I drew. Well, the stakes just got higher. <laughs> right, let's give it a go. We're having unbelievable technical issues here. Yeah, oh my God, how long do you have to... There okay, we there we go. Number 44, do you have it? No. All right, no worries. Number 44, the question is, could you ever see yourself running for president? No, but that, well, maybe. That's interesting because I have an American passport 
and I'm a, an American citizen as well as a British citizen. So I actually technically could run for president. Wait, hang on. Do you mean president of Ireland? It's so funny how you think just straight away <laughs> went to America. You're like, no, fuck Michael D. I'm going for Trump. Yeah, how... Okay, so... Uh, this is incredibly naive of me. How long does Michael D get to be president for? Just like until he's like, oh, don't fancy it anymore. Uh, he gets seven years okay. and he can do that twice. So 14 years. That's quite, so you get a good long stint at it. Do you know what was crazy? You couldn't, I don't know what it's like in America, but in Ireland, you couldn't run for president, I think until you're 35. Yeah. And in the last election. they, they the, I remember voting on that, whether they should change the thing or not. What way did you vote? Do you mind me asking that? I can't remember. I voted to change it and like overwhelmingly I think I did vote to change like, yeah. it, like I just don't and like loads of my friends who are like you know our age were like no like I was like what? it just sends out a real weird message of like I feel like if you're 18 you should technically be allowed to go like let everyone else make up your mind if you're right or not but there's no reason why like a 32 year old a 24 year old couldn't run for president people don't want to let yeah, them no fine. it's true when you look at the some, some of the youngest uh, MPs in the UK some some of them are the the most forward thinking and proactive and you know people that you feel like you want to listen to compared to the kind of old fuddy duddies so yeah I mean like I think yeah if if you're if you're ready you're ready so I don't know and you, you feel ready <laughs> oh no 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 I don't feel ready but you know you think like when you look at like celebrities and pop stars and stuff and they've all like won Oscars and started their own shoe line and they're like twelve and you're like what you know yeah. <laughs> so you know people are maturing um, much faster these days I think so would I run for the presidency of the United States I think it's a lot of I think it's a lot of work yeah I don't know if I could commit to that and not feel guilty about the fact that my heart wasn't really in it how do you end up having a passport do you have an Irish passport as well no, I don't have an Irish passport, but in September I can start applying for naturalization. Very good. Yeah. So what? how do you have both passports? Because, okay, this is something that not that many people know about me uh, that have met me in the last few years. I grew up in America, so I was born in Pittsburgh. My mum's American, and I lived there till I was nine years old. And then I moved to England, so my dad's English, and, uh, and I lived in England for most of my life until I moved here in 2013. But... Uh, yeah, I used to have a full-on American accent and then I got really bullied and I just changed my accent and my whole personality and here's my new identity. Really? Yeah, yeah. That's so interesting. I know, it's funny, isn't it? And, like, uh, this is such a basic bitch fucking inside the actor's studio question, but, I mean, like, so, in a sense, you were acting all along. Do you know what I mean? To yeah, well, yeah. I mean, it's funny. My, my brother and sister have full-on American... Well, not full-on, but they have, like, quite American accents still and... And people are always shocked when they meet my family. But it, it wasn't that I just changed overnight. It was a gradual thing of trying to adopt more English sounds. And then and then I did a, a foundation course. When I was 18, I, I got onto the foundation course at RADA. So I went to London to do that. And um, I was sort of half American still then. And I remember them being like, if you're auditioning, it's it would be helpful for you to be either English or American in terms of of what roles people see you in or how you present yourself because people make such snap decisions when they're casting to be this kind of mixed up sort of like nothing kind of neither here nor there thing was not useful it's fascinating so, I, yeah. I, the, my first ever girlfriend I don't see her anymore right? Yeah. but we were together in a school and I, um, we follow each other on Instagram and that, but if it, she ever has a story up where it's a video and she talks she does not sound anything like what she did in terms of her mm. accent like that she moved like from England to Ireland but she was Irish and it was always really weird to me that she had an English accent but she just did but I don't think like she ever actually had an English accent because you hear her now and her accent is completely Irish and she doesn't live in Ireland anymore mm. she actually lives abroad in, in Europe and um, but it, it, it was so weird because it was like whoa did, like we were together for a long time I was like did I ever know the real you? Like, who yeah. is this person? Is bizarre. It's weird when people meet my mum and I've told, like, all my class at the Lair or whatever, I've told them, you know, that uh, that my mum is American and then they meet her and they're like, she's so American. She's so American. And I was like, I told you. And they're like, no, but she's so American. She is, like, she's like, if an apple pie was a person, it would be my mum. Really? Yeah. She sounds delicious. Oh, she is. <laughs> she's so gooey and delicious. <laughs> <laughs> right, <laughs> right. Move on, move on. Uh, here we go. Number fifty-one. Do you yeah. have it? No. Okay. No worries. Number fifty-one. The question is: If you could choose one person to have a one-to-one -one chat with, who would it be? Alive or dead? Or alive. Al you're, you're so disappointed. Yeah. Who was your dead person? 
Oh, I have so many dead people. Like I'm obsessed with T.S. Eliot and and with Evelyn War and just loads of people. Now I'm trying to think of a woman and like, I can't. But there's loads like I don't know Frida Kahlo or someone. But uh, alive, one to one chat with mm. that I've never had a chat with before. No, you can talk to them before if you want. Oh God, I don't know, like my mom or something. <laughs> like, no, I should, I should choose someone famous or something. I assume you could talk to your mom if you wanted. Yeah, I could phone her now. Okay, yeah, pick someone. Go. Okay. Reach for the stars. Um, reach for the stars. Who would I speak to one-on-one? I don't know. I don't really get starstruck at all. So, like, if I meet a celebrity, like, I might have a conversation with them. And if that's an interesting conversation, that's cool. But if not, then, like, I don't know. I don't feel like Im- I, my life has been improved by meeting a celebrity. Mm. Who's the most know. famous person you've ever met? Well, we met Conor McGregor on Dame Street the other night. Yes. Yeah. He was, like, he was grand. It's like, I mean, yeah. He was he was polite to us anyway. Tell us all about it. What happened? Oh, uh, we were just going along and it was my friend Sean is moving to Canada and we were going along Dame Street and then my flatmate Julie Maguire was like, That's Conor McGregor. Oh my god, guys, no, I'm being serious, it's Conor McGregor. Anyway, and we were like, uh but like I was kinda like totally underwhelmed, but they were all like getting selfies with him. My phone was out of battery, so I didn't get a selfie, but you know, it he was very polite to us to be fair. Like, you know, whatever else he is like or whatever. Where, where, like, do you know where he was going? What was he? Was he with a big on like an on? No, like he was just with one other person. He got into a car. One of those cars where like the doors lift up like vertical. Yeah. Like, whew. um, yeah, like it's grand. But uh, they were all fucking buzzing in the pub after. Can I say fucking? Yeah. Okay, grand. They were all like buzzing in the in the pub afterwards, and just like they were just texting everyone and everything. Yeah. Just going mad. You really should have asked him to do this podcast. Yeah, no, I know. I'm sure he was dying. He's just waiting for it to be asked. I know. I, I, you know, he, apparently he's... Um, I was asking a friend of mine who has a very, very successful podcast. Like, we're talking, like, hundreds of thousands of listens a week, right? And he was saying, like, I said, will Conor McGregor be a realistic get for you? And he was like, no. Uh, because his story is worth so much that, like, to reveal any of it now makes no sense. Like, when he writes his book, yeah, like, <clears throat> you know, like... That's going to be the biggest book in the That's world. That's so interesting. Like, every anecdote just has a price on it. Yeah. That, like, he can monetize, like, all of his thoughts and memories. It's weird. I feel like I really should have answered the question of who I want to have a one-to-one talk with. Like, oh, God, all my idols are dead. Um, I don't... Oh, I can't believe that I can't think of anyone great. Why do you think all your idols are dead? Do you think you romanticize the past? Yeah, probably. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm super into... Reading and literature and like so many of my favorite books uh, are like old books. Actually, there is no. There's a, a Donna. A, a Donna. There's a Donna. <laughs> my mom's called Donna as well. There's an author called Donna Tart. Funnily enough, <laughs> your mom's apple tart. Yeah, like like apple tart. I was thinking tart, like a tart. That's real, like early two thousands yeah. English word. Um, so she's called Donna Tart, and she wrote this book called The Secret History, and um, The Goldfinch is another one, and she wrote one called The, uh, the Little Friend, and she's incredible. Um, incredible writer and I think she studied like classics and kind of ancient Greek history and stuff as well don't quote me on that but uh, yeah I'd love to sit down and have a chat with her alright yeah good okay sweet move on alright here we go number 24 do you have it? I don't okay no worries number 24 the question is what is your definition of success for yourself? my definition of of success is Okay, my first thought there was like to be happy, but I don't think happy is like a, a permanent state or kind of, you know, an end point of something. It's kind of more, um, I don't know, some phases you go through. And um, so I guess a success to be, yeah, kind of to be to be content, to not have regrets, to be constantly working on new things no matter how old I am no matter what those things are um I mean as an actor in terms of dream there's dream roles and dream directors and dream theaters and stuff Mm. but you know my I don't know life could take you anywhere so I I think that just kind of if you're always working towards something and you're constantly trying new things and, and experiencing new things and your life is in this constant state of movement, then that to me is success as well. Mm. And obviously I want like to have a mortgage and 
Do you? Yeah. Oh God. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I want. I want to have a house, and it, it's so hard when you're working in any creative industry, obviously, to get mortgage. So, to have a mortgage so you could like paint your house. I'd love to have kids. I'd love to have a dog. So like that all like buys into my idea of success uh, as well of kind of, I don't know, creating that life for yourself. What? Okay. I have loads of questions. Okay. <laughs> you have a British and an American passport. Yeah. What is the thing that keeps you in Dublin? Well, two things. One, I'm, uh, I'm, I really want to get the Irish passport as well. Mm. Get the hat trick. You're so greedy. I know. I know. You can get loads of passports. There's loads of like islands and stuff that you can like buy a passport for like 30 grand mm. and stuff like that that businessmen do. Um, but the the other thing is, well, for a long time, I didn't feel like I was ready to move back to London. When I moved away from London, um, I mean, I love London. I lived there for four years. And it's an absolutely incredible city, but it's very, very hectic and it's very draining. And I think to, to really thrive in London, you need to be not necessarily young, but you need to have a lot of energy. You need to be very focused. You need to have a goal that you're working towards. At the time, I was trying to get into drama school and I was um, working towards that as well as other things. So, it, you know, I was very driven and that kind of got me through the the craziness of London. But by the time I got into the Lear and decided that that was the drama school I was going to go to, I was very ready for a change. And Dublin is so much more relaxed and chilled out. So, um yeah, so I I kind of felt for a while I wasn't ready to go back to, to London. Um, I'm now sort of itching to, to move somewhere, whether that is London or like another country or something. Um, but I think I'm going to stick around till September, start my naturalization application, and then, yeah, mm. then maybe move on. And what is it about the mortgage and stuff that... Because I always thought that that was something that, like, Irish people had a fixation about. And I don't know why, because, you know, in a lot of, like, European countries, like, most people just rent their whole lives and be okay with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I think we have this idea that... um, That... I say we, I don't know who I'm referring to there. But um, (laughs) that that rent is just, like, money down the drain every month. Mm. Especially when you're paying... Like, I pay astronomical rent here. It's... Uh, really it's a joke yeah are you in town yeah 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 but even like we've been looking at places like further out and then they're not that much much cheaper and if you kind of look at the transport and everything it all just you're like oh i don't know it kind of all works out the same so yeah i like i just want i've never been in a rental situation where i've been able to like decorate the house and like paint it and i think that i I think spaces should be like a representation of your personality, like your bedroom should totally represent you in terms of its aesthetic and the things in it, the objects and things. I like small spaces with like loads of stuff crammed into them, Mm. like just completely overwhelming craziness of like mixture of weird curiosities and things. Uh, So, so I don't know how that links to the question. No, it does. Yeah, I want to to decorate my house, basically. You said you want a dog. You said you want kids. Did you say you want to get married? I didn't. I didn't. Um, I do obviously want... Well, like, I, I would love to be with someone. I'm kind of always single all the time. Okay. So I, I'm i quite an independent person. Of course I would like to be with someone if I found someone that I wanted to be with. Um, but would I have a house and dog and kids if I didn't meet someone? Absolutely, yeah. 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 No, I was just cu- I was curious to know, why, why do you think you're always single? I don't know. Because I never... Well... I don't know. My dad's like, oh, you're too picky or whatever. <laughs> um, I just never meet people that I have to be like, oh, my God, I love you straight away. I actually met someone the other day that I was like, I love you. But uh, but now I haven't seen them again. So, you know. And like, did something happen or did you just fall in love with talking to them? Oh, no, I didn't speak to them. Okay. So this has only happened to me one at the time in my life, my first ever relationship where I saw the person was like, oh, right, there you are. Let's get married. Um, and then we went out for a while. But, uh, and it all ended in heartbreak. But the uh, the person I met the other day, so I went into this cafe and this guy didn't speak to me. I don't, I'm not sure if he spoke English. And then the, the woman like took my order or whatever and I think he made like a latte or whatever. Uh, I thought he looked Danish, right? I had this theory that it was Danish. He, he's not now, I think. So we'll discuss that in a moment. But he looked like a young Mads Mikkelsen. Do you know Mads Mikkelsen, the yeah. actor? Yeah. So I was like, I always thought I would marry a German or a Danish man. 
I don't know why. Uh, so I went in and I was literally looking like a drowned rat. And I have, okay, so I have this new iPad mini that I got for Christmas, but it's in like a case that has a little keyboard attached to it. So it looks kind of, when you open it up, it looks just like a little MacBook, um, but like a really small one. So he was just like looking at that being like, obviously thinking, what the fuck is that weird little mini laptop? And I just like, because I had it on the counter and I took it off the counter. I was like trying to watch a video and like, anyway, it was just all terrible. But I looked at him and was like, oh my God, I love you. And then I had to look away. <laughs> I had to look away because you know when you look at someone, you're so nervous. And then and then you're like, I can never look at you again for at least the next three weeks because I'm too nervous. But now I'm worried that I don't love him and that I mistakenly thought I loved him and then never looked at him again. Anyway, now I haven't seen him in two weeks, but I keep asking the people that work there questions. Turns out that they're all either Argentinian or Ve Venezuelan that work in that cafe. So now he's either Argentinian or Venezuelan and that's put me in a completely different mind frame because I was thinking it was Danish. I was looking up Copenhagen. So like, you know, now, now I was, <laughs> last night I was researching like 10 things about like dating an Argentinian. <laughs> right. And, uh, and they're all bad and now I don't, they were all like, oh, you date really casually and there's no commitment and they'll like charm the pants off you and it's like, and they'll make loads of dates with you and cancel at the last minute and, and all this stuff. So I was like, oh, I wanted the kind of, the sort of organization punctuality of like, you know, someone Scandinavian or Germanic and now I'm getting this kind of loosey-goosey Argentinian vibe. Oh, but, yeah. Yeah. Ma yeah, maybe. But like, do, do you ever think sometimes you don't really know what you want? Yeah, until you meet an Argentinian. We, that's what they say, <laughs> as the old phrase goes. What about what about the, the, the other boy that that happened with that you met and you were like, oh, yeah, let's get married now. And it ended in heartbreak. Uh, my love, my love. Uh, it actually, it, it's funny because you think that you're in love with people or you maybe you are. And then and then as the years go on, you still think like it took me years really to get over him. And you think like, oh, I still love him. And then you like, you meet him and you're like, oh, my idea of you in my head was completely fictional. And I made you up as this person that actually you're not. And you're still a nice guy, but mm. but the fantasy was not the reality. Um, I just, that was like the first time I ever fell in love. My first boyfriend, the first person I ever slept with. And we both moved to London together. And um, I was mad about him, but he, he got really, really depressed and um, it was just really, really hard because I really wanted to help him and he was a massive insomniac as well so he wouldn't sleep for a couple of days at a time and, and he was just like dead in the eyes and I can't even describe what it's like to look someone in the eyes and and to them like not even be able to look at you, someone like that you're completely in love with and it was just heartbreaking. And in the end, like then he would just like kind of stopped contacting me or we just stopped kind of meeting up and I was always trying to, you know, I was sending him links to like free counseling at his university and stuff and like trying to help him or get in touch in any way, you know, even if he didn't want me. And um, yeah, then in the end, uh, I kind of had to break up with him because mm. he wouldn't do it because he was too scared or something. He didn't want to hurt me or I don't know. So I kind of had like, oh, it was awful. It's like I had to break my own heart. Yeah. Yeah, but but I mean, I think he's better now. I still keep in touch with him every once in a while, just to be like, "Hey, how are you getting on?" And, and we recommend books to each other and stuff. But uh, like, he probably wasn't the person I was supposed to be with forever. But I, it was just the first time I'd ever fallen in love, and I felt like really hard. And then it was just, yeah, it was really hard to get over. What when you said that when you met him now, your fantasy was different to what the actuality of it mm. was. In what way was that like an aesthetic thing or was it with the connection that you used to have or was it, you know, the conversation that he was... Yeah, I don't know. Of? It's just you, you, you... I had this build-up of, oh, I'm going to see him again. I hadn't seen him in a few years. And uh, and I was so nervous. And I met him and, and then I was like, oh, I, I don't love you. I just... I, I don't know. It wasn't anything to do with the way he looked or like... His voice sounded much different to how he remembers, which was a strange thing. I was thinking, you didn't... I don't remember your voice sounding like that. And, um, yeah, it's just... What did his voice sound like? I just thought it was posher than it was before. Maybe okay. he was always posh, but it just... Not not in a bad... I don't mean that in a bad way, that it, it just... It was just slightly different, and... And, yeah, the, just the connection is, isn't there, and then you just think, how much in that in that absence did I build up this idea of this perfect man and this man I was in love with that actually was 
was something in my head all along and it's kind of unfair to put that on someone because that they can only be who they are in real life you know they can't be the version of of them that you have in your head does that make sense yeah it does yeah 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 yeah, it's really tricky when you think now about like your future and you know, if say you are to meet someone, do you think that in terms of like people in your industry, obviously being like acting, mm. producing like the yeah, creative yeah. world, do you think about that versus someone, you know, not in that as we said, like in possibly something more stable and mm. like do you have a, a leaning either way? Um no, I don't. I always thought I'd go out with an architect. Because I thought it was a nice balance of, like, creativity and, like, yeah, it's kind of more, like, stability and um, something a bit more technically minded. Uh, no. He was a he was a film... It was weird. That, that guy that I was talking about, he was a he was going to school to study filmmaking. But then he kind of gave it up, um, I think, which is weird because I think he was really good at it. But he also, like, played rugby professionally he played rugby for south of england and like he had england trials and stuff but he he broke his collarbone like before he was supposed to do his england trial or whatever but like he was always getting offers to like play for like the wasps and stuff i think they're a good team are they a good yeah, team they are, yeah. yeah but like he, like he could have been like a proper like professional rugby player and then he kind of sort of gave that up because he was like i know i want to do be a filmmaker and and then he kind of gave that up like i think he's had a lot of mental health issues and and a lot of confusion and anxiety over kind of what he wants to commit to which i totally understand so how did you find it protecting yourself being in a relationship with someone with mental health issues which is not to say that that, that question sounds a bit weird but do you know what i mean like it, it, it can be tricky oh it's really tricky and like i've had you know plenty of mental health issues myself but it, and especially after that relationship I I didn't realize I'd spent so long focusing on him and trying to make his life better that I actually was super super depressed to the point that like I started having like weird like kind of hallucinations like it was like and I wasn't drinking or on any drugs or anything um it was I, I learned a big lesson actually because I went I was in RADA at the time and I went in and I was crying one day in rehearsal and the teacher the director was like you need to leave the rehearsal because you can't bring that personal stuff in which was fair enough um, and and then we had a chat afterwards and this this man ha had a very close hand experience of a loved one having serious mental health issues and he was saying that basically he said something that stuck with me forever which was you have to take responsibility for your own happiness because no one else will. And he basically was saying that that I was trying to take responsibility for this other guy's happiness and try and fix him, essentially, which I couldn't do. He can only do that himself. And that, that in the meantime, I'd completely forgotten about I wasn't putting myself first. And you, if you don't put yourself first, no one, no one in the world is going to put you first. So... So you're just fucked. So basically, going forward, I try and put myself first before before serving other people. Makes me sound like a saint. I'm like, oh, I just put everyone before me. But um, yeah, that was a big life lesson for me. I promise I'll roll the thing in a minute. This is just really interesting. Um, what? This is really deep. It I is. thought we would just be here, like having the crack, like cracking the jokes, and and now it's like deep oh, about love. And I'll ask you about the Rock in a minute. Just uh, like Dwayne the Rock Johnson. Yeah. Why are you going to ask me? <laughs> well, I mean, he's on the list. I'm just saying. Is he? Yeah. Okay, cool. It's a bit of a shit question, but like, it's just to add a bit of lightness. But this okay. is interesting. I'm just, I have two more questions. Yeah. Unless you say something else interesting. You're just saying loads of interesting things. Okay. It's a compliment. Um, what did the hallucinations look like? So I had one really vivid one where, okay, I've always had kind of a weird thing with my sleep and that I sleep really, really deeply and that like, I had one instant where I, this is a long story, which I won't go into, where I slept, walked into the ocean in Jamaica and was like stranded. It's a long story, but... <laughs> you can't not go into that in no, a little I, bit. Okay, but no, I'll go into that in a, little, in a second. Okay. Uh, I'm notorious for like telling stories and then going off onto another story and then whatever. Welcome to this podcast. Yeah. So I, uh, what was I talking about? The hallucination. So I had this kind of weird waking dream where I thought I was awake, but I was actually obviously asleep. And I, it was in the morning before I was supposed to go into college and... I thought this was kind of when I hadn't seen him in a few months. So we hadn't officially broken up, but like I just like hadn't seen him. I was trying to contact him and and I was lying in bed, but the duvet was kind of over me and I thought he came in to the room and I was literally lying there for like, I'd say nearly an hour just listening to like his footsteps and like he, 
I could hear him writing and then I was like he's writing it was so weird because I was like that is the sound of a man writing and I don't know what this difference is between the sound of a man writing and a woman writing but I was so convinced it was a man writing and what even is gender but like so I was like it's, it's, it's him and I could hear him writing and I thought he was writing I don't know what I thought he was writing like a love letter or a suicide note or like I don't know and and I could, I was kind of like peeking out and I could kind of see shadows and stuff and I could see something red. And I, I thought, oh, this is so sad. I thought the red was flowers. I thought it would, they were like, I mean, I actually hate red roses, but I thought it was like red, red flowers or roses or something. And, and, and I was like, he's left me flowers. And I was literally, I was sweating. And I like, I felt like I couldn't move my body because I was so scared of him seeing I was awake. And, and I just stayed there in my room listening to all these sounds and watching these shadows move around for like, I'd say literally an hour. I was so late for college because I was so terrified to move until he left. Mm. And obviously, I, I'm like, I must have been asleep the whole time. Or like, I must have been waking, but like just seeing and hearing all these things. But I was, that was like at my worst point. I was just in such a bad way. And um, and I was just so traumatized. I just, that was the day that I went into college and I was just like, I couldn't, just couldn't stop crying. Just being, and like trying to explain to people. And they were like, oh, you just had to dream. And I was like, no, it was like, it happened. I could hear him writing. Like I could hear his shoes and... Yeah, it was so bizarre. Mm. And then what does, you said, like it was a really gorgeous and sad sentence that you said about, it was like I had to break my own heart. Yeah. What does heartbreak, like what are the actual day-to-day -day realities of heartbreak from your experience of it? I think to, that heartbreak stays with people for a lot longer than they think. Mm. So I think it can take a good like five years to fully get over someone. And that's, you know, that's not thinking about them every day, but the way it affects your life and your decisions. And it's, oh God, I don't know. It, it You go through a lot of different stages. I don't think I actually, I was always excusing him and being like, it's not his fault, it's not his fault, it's not his fault, which in a lot of ways it wasn't. But then actually, you know, looking back on it with clarity a few years later, like, yeah, there, there were things that he could have, done differently and there were things that I excused because you know I, I cared about him so much that I overlooked them um but he no I was gonna say oh yeah I didn't get angry at him until like three years later mm. and that is a big step I think when you finally are like actually fuck you and <laughs> but like that for me was a big step uh, of moving on but actually Wayne Jordan says something beautiful once when he came in for a Q&A with our class at the Lear and he was talking kind of about love and, and heartbreak and grief and really like grief, you, you have grief when you have any form of abandonment and that can be whether someone dies and leaves you that way or whether they choose to leave you, um, you know, whether that's a parent or a lover or, or, or a child or whatever. Um, so I think Wayne was talking about like, you kind of are constantly writing this story of your life in your head of this is what my life is gonna be, whether that's for the next year or the next five years or what, how, where you see yourself in your future. And you're writing this story. And then when someone dies or when someone goes away or they break up with you, it takes so much effort to rub out the story and to write again. And that's kind of how I think about heartbreak. It's the it's the realization that what you thought was going to happen and where you saw yourself going isn't going to happen. It takes a lot to get your head around that. And actually, it takes a lot of effort and pain to, to yeah, to, to rub out all the fucking story that you've written now and just and start writing a new one or even to have a blank page and not know what it's going to be. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. That's all goes to Wayne Jordan. That wasn't me. And I hope I remembered correctly how we described it. Yeah. All right. Shout out to Wayne Jordan. Yeah. Woohoo. All right. Sweet. Let's give it a spin. Okay. Okay. Number 30. Do you have it? Oh, no. I have 13. I thought you were going to say 13. Oh, I'm sorry. I Number have not. Yeah. 30. Question is uh, How do you feel about your hometown? My hometown? Well, what is my hometown? Great There's question. a question. Um, so, my. Original hometown was uh, Pittsburgh, which is an amazing city. Now, all my memories of Pittsburgh are kind of quite idyllic because I was there as a child. It's my childhood and it was the 90s and like, I don't know, in the 90s, like everyone was allowed to run around like without any supervision and you know what I mean? So like we were constantly just out having adventures and and so I saw it all kind of from this rose-tinted child's perspective. So... I, I love Pittsburgh. Uh, I actually haven't really been back as an adult. I've been back as a teenager, but it, it's pretty cool. They use it to film a lot of stuff that 
like superhero films and stuff that they can't film it. It's just easier than filming in New York because the downtown Pittsburgh with the skyscrapers and stuff is pretty similar. But yeah, it was just like, we used to have like block parties. I think a lot of people don't think block parties are a real thing. But we used to have block parties where like everyone would like, from the block would come around and you'd have like a barbecue and everyone would be like playing in the street and like, yeah, it was brilliant. And then my hometown in England <coughs> is a, a place called Saffron Walden. Saffron, like the spice, and then Walden, like that's just the name. And um, it's uh, it's a historic market town. Dates back to Tudor times. I believe it's been a market town since 1411. And uh, it's beautiful. It's all like Tudor buildings, and uh, it's a really nice little town. Uh, yeah, I love going back there. Mm. What is it? Do you ever think about, um, you know, going to L.A. Or, or, or that kind of thing? Um, I work like for pilot season or whatever. Yeah, or just to move to, you know, yeah, be there for all the pilot seasons. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't, I like, I don't think I would move to LA. Like I would go over, Um, you know, if I had some work, some television and film work behind me here, I would definitely go over and, you know, throw my hat in the ring. But um, I don't know if I would like the LA lifestyle. But then you never know. You know, it's mm. sunny all the time. You might go over there and be like, oh, it's sunny and I'm just going to do yoga every day and actually life is great. But I kind of like that sort of rainy English weather. I love the countryside. Like, So where I live in England, is it's a small town where it's kind of all surrounded by villages and farms and fields and stuff. And I feel more at home in kind of the countryside. And um, yeah, I'd like to live, I think. Well, I always thought I might live in Scotland for some reason. So maybe in Scotland or like in a little English village or I don't know, maybe somewhere in Europe. Who knows? How do you handle living in Dublin city centre and trying to still get your dose of countryside? Um, well, I uh, I don't get that much countryside here in Dublin. I should go down to like Wicklow and stuff. I don't drive or anything. Um, but like when I was training in the Lear, I tried to like if I had I used to work every weekend. But like if I got a weekend off. I would just go on an adventure. Like I went down to Clare on my own, just like got on a bus and just went and did loads of walks. Um, yeah. So every once in a while I do something like that. Just mm. go up. I do a lot of traveling on, not necessarily to always to the countryside, but I, I like to go traveling on my own. Um, like the last time I went, I went all across Russia and I went down through Mongolia and finished in China. So By yourself? Yeah. How was it? It was amazing. Yeah. I was incredible. I really wanted to go to Russia because there's, like, when you read Chekhov plays, there's always this idea of kind of, like, um, like in Three Sisters especially, when they want they want so much to go to Moscow. And there's this idea that, that everywhere is so far from everywhere else. And I kind of want to experience that, that vastness of what does it feel like to be somewhere where, you know, you have to get on a train for, like, eight hours minimum to, like, get to the next civilization. And it, it's madness. And it, it was beautiful. And actually, St. Petersburg especially, I loved. Um, and uh, just a beautiful, cultural, really vibrant city. Feels very, very liberal compared to the rest of Russia. And it's the art and um, and everything's incredible. And and then also, like, Siberia, kind of over in the east, the countryside there was beautiful as well. What, was there any, like, dodgy moments or scary moments when you're traveling by yourself for that long? Um... There was only one, and that was just when I couldn't find my hostel one night. And I, my train happened to get in at like half midnight or something into this Russian town, and and I couldn't find my hostel for ages. So I was a bit nervous then. But actually, on the trains, my dad kept on being like, "Someone's just gonna stab you with like a needle with some drugs in it, and then they're gonna abduct you." But like, obviously, that didn't happen. Everyone I met, because you're on the train, you you share a, a compartment with like three other people. It was all fine, like, and I shared with like men and women, and it was all grand. So, but. I know I like to push myself into those situations and I think the more you do it the less kind of scared or nervous you feel of kind of being in in new circumstances yeah yeah that's great <laughs> alright let's give it a new role alright number 31 do you have it? no okay no worries number 31 the question is what is your least favourite word? my least favourite word? Mm. Um, I don't know. Uh, can I do my favorite word instead? Yeah. 
<laughs> You're like, no, no, that's not the question. I'm interested. Um, okay, so I don't even know if this is a real word because sometimes, you know when your dad tells you stuff when you're like young and and you just believe it? Yes. Like my dad also told me, he taught me this um, this swimming stroke, right? That was like, it was basically like a corkscrew. You did like two like front crawl and then you like flipped over and did like two backstroke and then you were like doing this kind of like corkscrew. But he told me, that that was the butterfly and then I went in to like do like my swimming assessment thing at, at school where they like decide which swimming group to put you in and I was like oh I can do butterfly and they were like really and then I was like yeah and then I did my corkscrew and, and I got put in like the like remedial swimming class um, <laughs> but anyway sorry back to the word my dad always said that there was this word kaluvies right Okay. And he said that kaluvies are like, you know, when you empty out a pocket or like a bag and there's all that weird like crumbs and weird shit at the bottom that's yeah. just like sitting at the bottom of your pocket or whatever. Those are kaluvies. That's definitely not a real word, but it's a great word. Well, I don't know. Whoever's listening should look it up and y- see. Yeah. Kaluvies. I love that. Uh, but I'm real like, um, I hate, I really don't like when people I like I think I'm quite good at like spelling and, mm. and grammar and stuff but I really don't like when people correct people's grammar and spelling like even when I said like that's not a, I meant that like in a loving way like that's a deadly mm. word like yeah. and that like I don't think that that's a word in a dictionary necessarily but yeah. that's a brilliant word and like when you say it you're like I'll always remember that now Kaluvies, yeah. do you know what I mean it just works yeah. the same way when people are spelling stuff I'm like if you know what the person means leave them alone like do you know what I mean yeah. I, 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 I don't know yeah I love words that are really like visceral or onomatopoeic and like you know sometimes people don't like words like moist or I, like stuff like that that's the most commonly said yeah word. yeah I, I love those words they're like the m- more visceral the better um, or like, or like the word glib. I love that glib. Or actually, there's a bit in um, uh, I don't know if you've ever read Little Dorrit by Dickens. Mm. So basically, halfway through the book, uh, spoiler alert: the circumstances of kind of the central family changes, and they come into a lot of money, and the the two girls get this governess, and so she teaches them to say certain words to make their lips look nicer. So like one of them is plum. Like they're supposed to, when they're around gentlemen that they want to attract, they're supposed to say, like, just drop the word plum into situations so that their lips make nice shapes. That's so interesting. Yeah. Like, how much of that do you find in, like, um, work, for example? Like, I, I've been part of, like, rehearsal rooms and the director is basically trying to tell an actress in the room to, like, do it, but do it sexier. Basically. They won't say that. But like, do you know when some like mm. some, and you're trying to like be productive? I, I just I find that like, you know, for something like that, for example, I know yeah. that you're talking about example from a book, but yeah. like, it's weird that like human beings are that simple that like to make your lips look a certain way is going to make you more attractive. Yeah. Allegedly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, it does make your lips make a nice shape. Say it now. Plum. You're not committing to it properly. Why do you not? Plum. Do you want to jump at me there? <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't work. No, um, I've never experienced that in a rehearsal room of like, I mean, if I was directing something, I would just straight up be like, can you do it sexier? If if that is, you know, a justifiable kind of um, intention for the act, for the, sorry, for the character that they are trying to seduce someone or that they are trying to be sexy in that moment, mm. then I think that's all right to say. But No, and, and I, I'm sure it is fine to say. There's, I can't think of like anything wrong about that to say. Mm. But I, I've never had that, but I'm, I think that that's something that as a male actor, like I could never imagine like a scene. Mm, I mean, I guess if you're doing, like imagine how embarrassing it would be to do something like Fifty Shades of Grey. Like that would be so embarrassing, actually. Yeah. I think. Like, I'm, I, do you know what I mean? Like to do those, like to be reading that script and go, so I have to, whatever the fuck it is, I don't know, like, it just, <laughs> it, it feels embarrassing to me. To Wait, for the men or the women? Or both? Both. I, if I was a woman, I would hate that direction. Maybe that's just like, I don't know. But I get it. I, I think it's a useful no, direction. I, I, no, I think it, it entirely depends on, on the character and what they're trying to do. If you want it to be sexier for the sake of, like, selling more tickets to the film because this person looks sexy, then obviously that's stupid. But, like, if if the character is trying to achieve something by being seductive at a moment, then like that is, I think. No, that's great. That's yeah, just a tactic. Yeah, like, you're yeah, using, no, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like that makes complete sense. But I think they must have so much fun and stuff like fit. Do you not think that they would just like fucking piss themselves the whole time of Fifty Shades of Grey? Yeah, maybe, maybe. Yeah, yeah, probably. Like you'd have to have a sense of humor about it, wouldn't you? Yeah. Like the play I'm rehearsing at the moment is so dark. 
like it's really I mean there is comedy in it as well but there are moments of it that are just really really dark really hard hitting and kind of difficult for an audience to watch but we just laugh constantly all the time we just piss ourselves in the rehearsal room so it must be some sort of weird coping mechanism yeah do you find uh like do you find that if it's such a dark play and you're in rehearsals now do you find it difficult to leave it behind in the rehearsal room in the same way you said like at rad at that time you were bringing personal uh, stuff into the rehearsal room do yeah. you find it easier to leave stuff in the rehearsal room and go back into your personal life um yeah this this pl- pr- project is a bit different because i'm producing as well so i feel like it's just living with me constantly so if i'm not in the rehearsal room i'm like emailing someone else about i don't know whatever i'm emailing the theaters or the graphic designer or the set builder or calling someone and uh, yeah being like oh god are we gonna have a set or what yeah so uh yeah so it's kind of like been living with me but I have a at the moment like I don't want it to be over like I'm really looking forward to getting into the run of the shows uh but I also have a countdown on my phone at the moment of like when I can see my parents puppy next which is not until like the 26th or something of February so well do you like producing or is it a means to an end for you to perform um I started producing um, to get a bit of experience of producing, see what it was like, and because I knew I wanted to produce the thing I'm producing at the moment, so to kind of get some experience. Um, the first thing I ever produced afterwards, I was so stressed, I was like, never again. And then Ross asked me to produce his one-man show, and then I was like, okay, fine. And then, it, yeah, I just sort of keep doing it, and uh, it, I wouldn't say that it's the love of my life, but I think that I'm quite good at it. Um, so, you know, you know, why not keep, keep doing it? I keep, you know, saying I won't do it again. And then I immediately sign up to a new project. So, yeah, actually I read something the other day that someone was like, shout out to everyone who's good at things. They, when I, oh, I'm going to mess it up now. Shout out to everyone who's, uh, passionate about things they're not good at and good at things they're not passionate about. Mm. You're but you're you're passionate about acting. Yeah, I've and never I, seen you. And I've seen I you. am good at acting as well. Right, <laughs> but that that's interesting. So if you're yeah, yeah, that's a tricky thing. Like, so, do you ever? There's something so so sad and heartbreaking about that, isn't it? Because there yeah. are loads of people in the world that I'm sure that are really that aren't as good as they like to be at the things they really love, or but are really good at things like they might be a really good accountant and like hate accountancy. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, like well, for example, like you're ex-boyfriend I, I wonder will he listen to this that'd be so funny oh my god he won't but imagine if he did um, but like and I he mean was like, he would be like oh didn't realise she was in love with me <laughs> he will and he's like I was writing a love letter in a room and there were red flowers <laughs> <laughs> um, wait you hate red roses <laughs> yeah <laughs> so but like he could have been a professional rugby player by yeah. the sounds of it yeah yeah you definitely. know and that would be like, it's so funny when like that would be like millions of young men and women's dream to do that mm. and then this guy who has the ability to do it because like that's the thing that you need like so much ability so much drive to mm. do and he's just like Meh. yeah I mean that's hard for people to take as well but I think it's important to respect people's like just because someone has the ability to do something doesn't mean that they have the obligation absolutely to, to do that you know and you 100%. have to respect that it's frustrating as it can be if that's what you want to do I know like yeah. I was saying this like I think that's the saddest thing in the world like I, we, I, I'm sure we all have like friends who are like so passionate about a thing mm. and y- you know it's a shitty thought and you know oh, please god they'll all prove like those thoughts in my head wrong but you're just like I'm not sure if you're actually good enough and that's a real mm. shitty thing to think but like it, that's just an honest thought you know yeah. it, that you'd have about some of your friends and, and, and they work really hard they do all the things that mm. you need to do to do the thing but there's a fundamental thing underneath all that, which yeah. is like, are you good? Do you yeah. I mean, it's difficult with, with acting in creative industries because they are so, so tough and there's so much rejection. But there's a part of me that also thinks that if someone isn't that great at something, but they really enjoy it, then like, why not carry on doing it? You know? Absolutely. Like, go for it. Do what you want. Uh, yeah, I, I, have some, I have a lot of friends who like, um, love acting, but don't do it professionally, never train. They do mm. it like on the amateur circuit. Yeah. And it's an amazing little circuit. Yeah, my sister, um, she, she's uh, a doctor and a surgeon, but she always used to do musicals, and she does. She still does panto in her her village where she lives with her husband. She does the panto every year, and and she loves it, you know. And she's 
she's an all right singer. You know, she's not incredible. She's an all right actor. She's not incredible. But like she just loves going and meeting with the group and, you know, doing the rehearsal once a week or whatever. Yeah, that's like I think in, in a way there's something like much more beautiful about that because you're like, oh, you're literally doing it for the love of. Yeah. I think that's what amateur actually means. Yeah. Like I know obviously the st- distinction is you're not doing it for money, but I think like amateur, oh, I could be making, I could be completely making this up, but I have a feeling that it means for the love of. Hmm. Maybe it doesn't. Well, am am like um, I'm trying to I'm trying to do the etymology of it. Yeah, like amour. I, I think it is. I, I um, let's play the game where it is, amateur. and um, that's cheer, very beautiful. Cheer. Yeah, because there, there's loads of I'm sure there's loads of actors, you know, at this point who are you know it's like I think that's the problem with acting is that it's such a don't get me wrong it's a very specific set of skills but they are like transferable I'm sure like you know oh yeah definitely like into other things I actually wanted like I used to be so 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 focused on acting and you know especially when I was trying to get into drama school and I was like this is what I'm working towards this is what I want to do and and I do want to, to be an actor and I love acting but the older I get the more I'm like I can do loads of things you know and I've started producing I would love to direct I paint as well I would love to do more painting I there are so many things I want to do and you know those Wikipedia pages where like it's like um Blah, 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 is a philosopher, writer, tennis player, violinist, mm. and uh, psychologist from wherever. And you're like, oh, I want to be that person that has like, does like 10 different things. Mm. Like, why not? If you've got the- we have so much time that we don't use, I think. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. Funny, at this point in my life, I don't want that. Hmm. But it's just interesting, isn't it? Like, but who's to say? I think that's a really nice thing, though, to leave yourself that flexibility to just be like, yeah, but, you know, in like six months, who the fuck knows? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? And it's one of, it, and it's such an interesting thing as well. Like, I was thinking about that with someone like, um, uh, like with, in the wake of all, like, the people who have been, like, outed uh, as, you know, being, like, have done awful things, mm. men in particular. Mm. Like, uh, and some of them probably... I'm not, I don't know, but like, there's a good chance some of them won't work, or certainly their careers are highly damaged. Yeah. You know, and like, what do they, what do they do? And I'm not trying to have sympathy for them, but mm. I'm just mean like, quite factually, like, what is, does the rest of their life look like? Because could you imagine if someone said to you, "Hey, Maria, like, you did this really bad thing in the past, mm. and like now you don't get to do the thing that you feel you're meant to do." Yeah. And I'm not, and again, I'm not making excuses, but I'm just saying that must be a really challenging thing to hear and like rightly so they deserve to be challenged because they did a fucked up thing and like you got to face the consequences of that but it doesn't take away the like humanity of the fact that mm. that must be really hard yeah yeah um i do think a lot of those people though probably are really multi-skilled but then i guess if you get taken away from a, a, an entire industry um yeah i don't know mm. i don't know either it just came into my head yeah it's like that thing of having to rub out the whole story and write it again yeah except for yeah they obviously did terrible things as well so then i don't know what do you make of everything that's like going on at the moment in terms of i, I mean it's just a real watershed moment isn't it in the sense mm. that like there's been so m- so many men have got away with like some horrendous things for a yeah. long time and it, it feels like now for the first time it's it bullshit is starting to be called on it which is obviously very healthy and important yeah how does it feel to be a woman in the entertainment industry at this time i mean it's interesting it's interesting being a a, a woman in in general at this time um i find that a lot of things that they don't really hit you kind of you know internalize and just accept so many things that they don't hit home until something like this happens i mean not that i have really experienced that within the entertainment industry but the kind of the amount of of misogynistic or completely like sexually inappropriate moments that uh, i've experienced with men some of whom i didn't know even you know men on the street and stuff that you kind of forget about all those and then it's only once people start saying things and you're like oh yeah well this happened to me some one time and then they're like what and then you're like oh yeah well this happened yesterday and they're like what and you know you don't think of it as a big thing because it happens every day to women and um and you just kind of get on with it and it's only when something like this happens that you're like fuck or it's even like with the waking the feminist thing in um in theater when i i went to the abbey and w- was listening to people like dove dove lacrosse speak about it I was sat there in tears because it doesn't hit home until 
until they start talking about the lack of roles for women and kind of what they've been through and stuff and, and how hard it is, that you there's something in you that clicks with that and identifies with that and completely recognizes it and and that's what made me so emotional because you'd kind of internalized it until someone says it out loud and then you're like you just said something i didn't even know that i knew you know mm. does that make sense yeah it does i guess it probably makes you feel very like seen to be like when there's something that like you've struggled to mm. even articulate yourself and mm. then someone hits the nail on the head like yeah. that's a really it's a really great moment but at the same time it's a real i can only imagine it's a really yeah. like I don't even I don't have a word for it yeah I mean like the are we taking loads of time no we're okay. we're, we're within our okay. we're, we're doing good <laughs> okay grand um yeah like it's yeah it's funny just the the things you just store away because you know you think like oh that's just something that happens and then when you say it like even men are, are really really shocked about some of the stories I could tell you of things that have happened to me or friends of mine of with like men like what my friend of mine was walking to work in Knightsbridge in London and was followed by a man in a car who then at one point just like hopped out of the car, pushed her against the wall and came all over her and then got back in the car, drove away. And she went and she had to go and like, she was working in Harrods at the time. She had to go buy a new suit and everything. And and then and she was completely traumatized and, and she kind of went into work to because she didn't know what to do, shock and just kind of say, uh, I was late because this happened and they just basically told her off for being late and was like get on the shop floor and low stuff I had a conversation with a man outside the Vatican who was full on having a wank in his pocket but like I was just like uh, like I just answered all these questions he was asking me about um, how he was deflowered and stuff and, and I wanted to be polite so I didn't <laughs> that sounds so stupid but like I just kept answering his questions and I was like okay I've got to go or like just things that people have like just said to me or just you know I don't know people that don't even know you they're just whispering your ear or stuff and, and they think it's okay because you're a woman and like it's obviously not but you kind of store those all away and think oh yeah that happened but you don't really think about it and then you start saying these stories and people are like that's really bad and you're like oh, yeah it is it's terrible they're horrendous it's horrendous but you just log it away because it's like all in the like day-to-day -day thing of being a woman and you, you're like I don't have time to worry about that shit like I've got to get on and do my stuff mm -hmm. so better yeah it's I was thinking about this the other day like I don't know what, what it'd be interesting to hear your perspective growing up in the states mm. and and in in the UK mm -hmm. but like growing up here one of the words we used when we were kids and it's crude and it's kind of disgusting but it's just the actuality of how mm. we spoke was we'd, we'd talk about with girls and and I like and I, and I was very like shy as a as a as a kid so and a teenager so I was probably like in some way like living vicariously through my friends but the yeah. vocabulary we, we'd use would of be course. like stuff like did you get your bit yeah and that's how it was and I was yeah, just thinking yeah, yeah. about that I don't know do girls say that as well I suspect maybe not maybe they did I don't know well I think it's important to recognize that women talking about um relationships and sex uh are I think just as crude as men yeah, probably. And actually, reckon that part part of kind of like treating everyone the same is recognizing that women are totally sexual. Absolutely, I completely way. agree. the The thing that I thought was problematic about that when yeah. we spoke that way was that it's it's not like because anything like sexual it should be communal and it has to be. Yeah, you have to that's be total, uh, totally objectifying the. Completely, because yeah. it's it's like saying that it's it's yeah. your thing to get from her. You yeah. know what I mean? There's something like possessive mm. about it, and a, a kind of aggressive and fucked yeah, about and it. Yeah, and your bit, like yeah, that your you, bit. that you deserve your bit that is yours for the taking. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously that's completely not your fault. That's a cultural thing and a, a social thing. And um, I'm actually I'm really interested. To see, my friend is doing a, a play um, in seeing her called Lads, 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 and that's called Bump and Grind. Bump and Grind Theatre is the name of the theatre company. But um, I'm really interested in seeing that because, you know, there's a lot of feminist theatre coming out at the moment. And I think whenever you hit something too your heart goes too straight on, you know, it becomes quite preachy or quite difficult to connect with as an audience member. And sometimes the way to do it is to kind of look at the reverse, the flip side of things. Um, so they're kind of looking, I guess, at like lad culture and, and what it's like to be um, different... I hope this is what the show is about, but this is what I what I have um, sort of what's the word that, that I think it's about. Uh, kind of like how different boys growing up and trying to find their identity and stuff fit into that culture, and maybe they don't fit into it, but then maybe they sort of succumb to it. And and I think with sexism in Ireland, I think so much more focus needs to be put on 
on the men and and how they're being brought up and and making sure that they feel that they could express themselves and they can be emotional and that you know because when you just look at the the state of the nation's mental health and and particularly you know suicide with young men and it's it's if you focus on, on them and making them feel like they don't have to succumb to this loud culture like they don't have to provide for a woman and that's not their role in life that that then the, the effect of that is that then they see women more as equals and then and then it's going to have a, an automatic positive effects on women and their opportunities yeah absolutely i think you're right and you know that's a hard thing to say actually but i think it, and it's it's much better coming from from you than it would be from me but i think like in anything like this where it's like it and it, it like there's just a lot of toxicity in mm. like in the world at mm. the moment but i think you're right like i think that like the, the the primary victims have been women obviously in like all these cases mm. and that like needs to be respected but at the same time i think you're right like i think a lot of these men who perpetrate these crimes are victims of this other thing and and in no way am i well, comparing no, but they're but both problems they're both problems they're products of the culture and the society they've grown up with and 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 yeah and and sometimes you know women are, are products of, of you know the, the the flip side of that as well so it's it's about i don't know educating everyone and and yeah addressing the problem on both sides because anything that you do to try and create equality for men is going to automatically create equality for women. Anything you do to try and create more equality for women is going to automatically create equality for men. So everyone should just be who they want to be. Yeah, man. Hey, <laughs> Maria, this has been deadly. I had no idea how this was going to be, but it was like just not what I expected it to be like at all. Oh my God, no. I thought it was going to be really funny. <laughs> oh, I thought it was going to be, I don't know. It's really weird because we'd never met before. So yeah, I don't, yeah, yeah. we'd only interacted via like, you know, messages and stuff. Yeah. So and I I but it was really great and you're very um just thanks for being there. I don't know it's just a lovely chat. Yeah, it was great. Yeah, weren't we supposed to do sixty questions? I mean, like we, we did, we did, we five. did like five. <laughs> but that's just because you were too interesting. Yeah. So you just broke the game. I know, you destroyed I know. it for I yourself. I broke the game. Um, do me a favor. Tell us all about this deadly play that you are producing and working on. Okay, Pult. so um, it's a play called After the End. Mm. It was written by the amazing Dennis Kelly, who you might know from. He wrote the book for Matilda the Musical. And he wrote a Channel 4 show called Utopia, and he wrote a BBC3 show called Pulling, and all sorts of things. Um, so it's set in a nuclear fallout shelter. It's two colleagues, Louise and Mark, and they're sort of uh, trapped in this uh, shelter for two weeks after uh, a presumed sort of terrorist attack, and they have to survive the two weeks together. So it, it tensions run very, very high, and it kind of becomes this power play between the two of them so there are a few laughs in it um some surprisingly light moments uh but it's it's also very dark and very intense um it's a bit of a sort of psychological thriller that will have you on the edge of your seat so it's on in the lyric uh in belfast from the first to third of, Fe- of february and then it's on in the new theater in dublin for three weeks from the 6th to the 24th of february starring me and a guy called paul livingstone brilliant sweet uh any social media bits that you employ twitters or instagrams or anything like that what the Twitter handle and stuff? Yeah, yeah, for you or like any. Sometimes people like to have a look. I think people are always interested to know what the guest looks like. I feel like a lot of people will Google image like Maria Guyver after this because I think you know when you heard someone's voice for a long time. Yeah, it's really interesting to try and imagine what that person looks like. Okay, everybody, follow me on Twitter. <laughs> um, I guess my handle is what just at Maria Guyver. So Guyver spelled G U I V E R. Guyver. Give it. My mum always goes G U. So because she's American, G U I V for Victor E R. <laughs> what, what? Just always just the V for Victor. Love Never it. any other letter. Um, well, she is an apple pie. Yeah. And my Instagram is mfgiver. So you know, sweet. Hit me up. Deadly Maria yeah. Guyver. Thanks for playing personality bingo. Thank you, Tom. So guys, that was Maria Guyver playing Personality Bingo with Tom Moran. A massive thank you to you, Maria, for taking the time to do it. It was a deadly episode, um, an absolute pleasure, and I'm dying to see you on the stage in After the End. I will catch you at the new theatre, but as I said, it's also at the Lyric Theatre. So between those two venues, make sure that you get in there. Guys, uh, in other news, as I said, I am out at the Mill Theatre playing Romeo and Romeo and Juliet at the moment. We're in the middle of our first week of rehearsals. It's been absolutely deadly. We have another two and a half weeks to go, and then we are up on our feet and running for uh, about four and a bit weeks in the Mill. Um, it's a lovely place to work. I was looking to 
to do King Lear here last year uh, and it's deadly so if you are out and about come and check us out because it's going to be a really good one uh, in other news as I said I am going to be bringing a play of mine back that uh, is really exciting I'm really looking forward to doing that so uh, if you're going to be in the Dublin area over the March April time um, keep an eye out for that and I will be sure to keep everyone posted because um, I know you're all dying to hear about it uh, and as well all the thank yous a massive thank you to Taz Kelleher for mixing editing and producing this podcast she is the boss woman and she is also the boss woman at In The Shower with Taz and Marcus uh, Marcus is the boss man Taz is the boss woman and together they are a pair of bosses and they make an absolutely brilliant podcast over there and you should go and check it out also thank you to Leah Moore and Anthony Manley for our brilliant theme music also check them out at More Than Machines also also thank you to Connor Nolan for our deadly artwork and as always thank you to Paddy and Alan and everyone at the Headstuff Podcast Network and at Headstuff in general for having us a part of the team Guys, that was an absolutely deadly chat with Maria and I'm delighted to say that next week we will have another guest on Personality Bingo with Tom Moran. HPN, the Headstuff Podcast Network. See headstuff.org for more details.